This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Champs to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Short Shifts program. My name is Ben Burnett. Joining me, as always, Lewis Ezekiel, and the E is for extremely happy to be done with grading for this semester, as I understand it. Lewis, welcome to the show. Ah, oh, yes, it's a big relief. Really glad to have gotten things wrapped up. Would have loved to get some gamblers rush this weekend after not getting to watch very much hockey while grading, but uh, I'll have to settle for whatever the All-Star Game skills competition can offer me, I suppose, and then the game itself. I'm actually pretty excited for the uh, three-on-three NWHL series we're going to get to see. I think that could be pretty cool. I'll be honest with you, Lewis. The All-Star game is not for me. I do kind of like the skills competition as something to have on in the background while I'm having a few drinks on a Saturday night or something if I'm if I'm hanging out with other hockey fans. But yeah, what a bummer to have the All-Star game weekend on the same weekend as the uh, as the weekend that isn't the Super Bowl. Yeah, I think I'm just kind of in a position where, you know, feed that addiction any way that I can after all that I've missed. So I'll take my hockey in any form I can get it right now, I think. Fair enough. And uh, I did definitely miss having a game on in the background while I prepped for tonight's episode. Tonight's episode, speaking of which, we are trying something a little different. As we mentioned on Tuesday, not a ton of headlines this week, very quiet in the NHL. And so we thought we would do something a little different. We wanted to talk about the five biggest questions that we have in fantasy hockey heading into this all-star break. Um, we're going to take turns giving our primary answers on these questions and then maybe ask each other some follow-ups on, on what we're thinking here. Um, because of the break, I should mention the Keeping Carlson patron group. I've been hosting a Saturday stream every single week to give sit-start ad drop questions. We've had a lot of fun with those shows. We have, you know, other hosts of Keeping Carlson. Elon's been on an episode. Um, we've had patrons of the, of the Facebook group in the chat. It's been a lot of fun to do those. There will not be a show this week as there are no games on Saturday. And I don't think anyone really needs to hear me talk about the all-star game. So we will be skipping the Saturday stream. However, Maybe now is a great time to get into the patron group ahead of the future Saturday stream. So if you do want to become a patron of Keeping Carlson for only $5 a month, head to KeepingCarlson.com slash patron. Become uh, someone who gets to hang out with Lewis, Brian, Elon, and I, and all of our other great patrons. We just had a great question from new patron Michael in the chat. He wanted to know about whether or not it was time to cut ties with Bobrovsky or Dubnik. I suggested he hold on to Bobrovsky for a potential bounce back. I, I like that possibility over Dubnik, who looks like he has 
maybe the ship has sailed in that regard. I mean, not that Bobrovsky hasn't, but I think I like the Panthers over the wild rest of season. So I'll, I'll take Bobrovsky. You agree with that one, Lewis? Yeah, absolutely. You know, you've got the Panthers who are scoring at the highest rate in the NHL. So at the very least, you can count on Bobrovsky to get some run support. You just hope they aren't too lax on the defensive end once they hopefully uh, take a lead there. You know, another good reason to hop in the Patriot group, if I can do one last plug, is we're heading into trade deadline season as teams are gearing up to make those playoff runs or to secure picks for the future if you're out of that running. So uh, always lots to discuss over on the Patreon Facebook group. Absolutely. So actually, our first question of these five biggest questions that we have rest of season is going to have to do with making some trades. Uh, the first question I took a look at is, can any of the long-term injured players, so I'm looking at Vladimir Tarasenko, Dustin Bufflin, Jake Gensel, or Douglas Hamilton, can either can any of these players over the next few months make a fantasy impact for your team this year? And should general managers be trying to add or acquire them? Are general managers wasting their IR slots on guys who will not return? I think that obviously this has a lot to do with whether or not you're in a one-year or a keeper league. In a keeper league, I'm hanging on to all of these guys. I do think that Bufflin is someone who could be floating on your eye, on, not on your IR, on your waiver wire right now. He is not IR eligible in Yahoo. But if you're a tanking team at this point in the season, you're looking into next year, why not go out and add Dustin Bufflin as my first thought? Get rid of whoever's at the bottom of your roster who doesn't really have any keeper implications. Grab Dustin Bufflin, hold on to him. It'll help your tank and you may end up with a keepable asset next year. You never know. Uh, with regards to the other three, the more I look into headlines and things, I'm, I'm increasingly thinking that these guys will not come back for any amount of valuable time this season. I just don't see why they would, especially when it comes to Gensel and Tarasenko, these guys who their timeline seems to include up until the end of the regular season, and their teams are pretty much cruising into the playoffs. I don't see why they would rush back. We did see Tarasenko was skating this week. But if you're the Blues, I read that they have the opportunity to make a trade, keep Tarasenko on IR until the rest, till the end of the regular season, and they have an extra seven and a half million in cap space. So I don't see them rushing him back. I don't see them bringing him back before they absolutely have to. I would think that they would, you know, use that, weaponize that cap space, get somebody for a second. Uh, Stanley Cup run that they can use in the playoffs and then let him come back right at the end of the season. So having said all that in a one year, I think I'd be holding on, you know, just because the upside is high. If I have available IR slots, the moment I don't though, I'm dropping them. So for example, I dropped Jake Gensel in the cupful this week. I had four injured players who will be back and plus Jake Gensel. So he was the cut because I do not think he'll be back regular season. If you're rebuilding in a keeper league, though, this is probably the market that I'd be shopping in. Go out and see what the Gensel or the Dougie or the Tank owner is looking for as we head into the playoffs. I think that you may be able to, you know, wrangle one of them from their owner if whether or not they're in a uh, struggling to make the playoffs or if they are someone who's in the middle division, maybe just looking for uh, a return that could put them over the top for this year. I think that those guys would be very interesting trade targets for a rebuilding team. If you're trying to compete, though, 
you know, maybe see what see what a rebuilding team would offer you for for one of those players if you want to give it your all and uh, and put yourself over the top this year. Lewis, what do you think about that take? Yeah, I think you really nailed it. The only player who I think, as you said, could be back is Bufflin, and I'm very leery. I know people are excited about his potential return, but we're talking about an ankle injury on a big guy who is likely pretty out of shape. I'm having a hard time seeing him making a big impact while it's still within our fantasy hockey season. I love the advice on uh, teams that are secure in their playoff spot, potentially trading one of these guys to a rebuilding team or the flip side of it. I think if you are pick your targets wisely, uh, you could pretty successfully, uh, you know, I don't know if you can really call it a sell low if you're getting a player that could help you uh, win a championship this year for a player who is not going to score any points for you whatsoever during your fantasy hockey playoffs. Uh, I think that really is one of those rare situations where you can have a mutually beneficial deal that both sides are really happy with. I think flip one of those guys for someone who's going to help you this season uh, is a really great move that could leave everybody with a smile on their face in a keeper league. I'm with you on Bufflin especially. I just don't see... I, I, my hopes are increasingly lower as time goes on that he'll be able to come back and make an impact. Neil Pionk's been excellent on that top power play unit too. Um, not that I think that he's necessarily a bullet marked to or earmarked to stick with that unit if Bufflin does come back. But yeah, I just don't think that this is something that we should be counting on in our fantasy hockey season. If you're, you know, you're trying to hold on to a playoff spot, then you need every, uh, you're fighting for your life right now. So I, I would not be holding on to Bufflin unless I am a rebuilding team in a keeper league. Lewis, what do you got for question two here? All right, next question up. With 15 points in 16 games since moving to Arizona, can Taylor Hall continue to improve and become the 100-point pace player he showed he was in his MVP season? So it's really exciting to have Taylor Hall finding success in Arizona. Certainly wasn't the maybe the top-tier offensive place for him to end up, but uh, he's really found some good success. He's being set up for success in Arizona much better than he was in New Jersey. At all strengths, Hall has received more primary assists in 16 games uh, from his Coyote teammates with seven than he did in 30 games with the Devils, where he only received five. Uh, Part of the impact here is that his even strength goals per 60 numbers have nearly tripled from 0.52 goals per 60 in New Jersey to 1.48 goals per 60 in the desert. That is the best goals per 60 number of his career. Obviously, 16 games is a pretty small sample size, but obviously this is a significant improvement. And even if he regresses, uh, it should be better than what he had in New Jersey by quite a wide margin. Uh, and what I'm sure is just a coincidence, he's also tripled his even strength shooting percentage from 5 to 15% since the move to Arizona. And this is about 4% higher than he's managed in any previous season. Uh, he's done about as well on the power play, uh, improving about 8.5% in his shooting percentage. So I think those numbers, shooting percent numbers, do give me pause a little bit because I don't know if he's going to be able to keep them that high. Uh, but certainly seems like he is getting better passes fed to him with a better chance of of scoring. Uh, His assist numbers are up as well, although it's probably pretty unlikely that he'll be able to continue to get in on 92% of the even strength goals that are scored while he's on the ice. Although, I gotta add a caveat here, 
Uh, he was able to actually eclipse that 92% number two times in seasons of 45 and 75 games in Edmonton. So it's not entirely out of the realm of possibility that he could continue to get in on nearly every single goal that is scored where he is out on the ice. I didn't see anything alarming about his on-ice shooting percentage, which was rebounded about 3% to be right around his career average. Uh, so that assist pace may be something that he can maintain. Overall, though, Hall does appear to be overachieving right now. I don't think the improvement is surprising in and of itself, um, but the level of improvement has been likely a little higher than it'll be for the remainder of the season. He's been just below a point per game during this stretch, even with these inflated numbers. Maybe we can see Hall return to his heart form, but I can't see him pacing for 100-plus points this year. I think more likely he's going to settle into a much more modest 7 to 70, 70 to 75 point pace as the shooting percent regresses a bit, but certainly remains a significant improvement over his 2019 New Jersey Devils production. I mean, the interesting thing here is definitely that 92% even strength IPP. I think this is one of those players, though, where you would expect him to run a little high on IPP just because when you watch him play, he is out there doing everything. He is the guy who drives the bus on any line that he's on, no matter who his line mate is. Yeah, my initial assumption when I pulled that number up was, oh, you know, certainly this is way beyond anything that he's been able to do for any significant length of time in the past. Um, but to see that he had done better uh, over significantly longer periods of time was uh, really impressive. So obviously, yeah, like you say, Taylor Hall is out there. He is putting in work. He is getting on the puck whenever he possibly can. Hell of a player. And I honestly, I, I, I think that he can be this uh, point per game plus guy. It just depends on what position he's put in to succeed by Arizona. And it's it's heartening to see that that's happening so far. Yeah, definitely. Uh, maybe I'm a little more pessimistic than you. I don't see him quite at that point per game level, but I would love to see it happen, certainly. He's a great player, really interesting uh, to see him playing on the ice anytime. Well, from Taylor Hall's current team in Arizona to Taylor Hall's previous team in New Jersey, I wanted to look next at the second line for the New Jersey Devils. And I'm curious, in particular, what can Nikita Gusev and Blake Coleman do rest of season? So after a slow start for Nikita Gusev, which featured a handful of healthy scratches and demotions into the bottom six, he really appears to be clicking on the second line with Coleman and Travis Zajac. Things really seem to have turned around, in particular since the back half of a back-to-back -back in mid-November, when Gusev played about eight and a half minutes uh, one game Game, and he followed that up with 15 minutes in the second game. Since then, he's been pretty regular on that, those second line minutes, and he's even had a few runs on the top power play unit. In that stretch, he's pacing for 60 points over a full season and playing much more power play time. Coleman, on the same track, has uh, started the season slowly with six points through his first 18 games, and that mid-November game also seemed to mark a turnaround for him. He's got 57 point, a 57-point pace since that game, which would be huge for a player who's 28, and he's never hit 40 points in a season. Over that span, Coleman and Gusev are number one and number two on the Devils in shot per 60. So when they're on the ice, they are driving play and they are getting a ton of shots on goal. Gusev is also tied for the lead in the league in primary assists since that moment, while Coleman is 12th in the league in even strength goals. So it's obvious that these two are putting together some kind of magic run right now. 
What's holding Coleman back is, and I wrote about this on Dauber last week, he does have a lack of power play ice time. And until we see that, I think it is hard to pencil him into the the 30-goal, 55-60-point club that he looks like, you know, what his last 30, ga- 30 days of uh, ice time really look like. But could he score 25 and put up 50 points? I, I definitely think that's more reasonable. Gusev, to me, who's seen better power play deployment, I think can be a 60-point player. And what's really interesting about him is whether or not Kyle Palmieri gets traded. I've seen his name thrown around quite a bit. I know that the, the Boston Bruins in particular are interested in putting him on their second line. If Palmieri gets moved out and Gusev gets top-line minutes, I think he could be one of the second half's biggest breakout stars. And uh, the last thing I really wanted to say about this team is they've been such a fantastic pair that the All About the Jersey blog tweeted that they've been referring to them as the Goose and Maverick pair, as they are one of the most iconic duos in cinematic history and now in New Jersey Devils history. I'm pretty into that. So rest of season, we've got the Goose and Maverick line, and I am hoping for big things moving forward. Yeah, I think we really need to see them. Uh, master a goal celebration where they do the double high five where you get it on the front and you get it again on the way back. Amazing. Uh, I think that would be really cool. I had Gusev as one of my flag players at the start of the year so I'm really excited to see him start to kind of pick it up. Certainly he's going to fall short of where we hoped. Uh, a lot of people myself included were hoping for a Panarin, Dadanov type season from him since he was so successful in the KHL and we had seen them do similar things although Gusev had even better numbers. But, you know, obviously, while he's going to fall short of that, I'm with you. I think that um, getting that top-line deployment in New Jersey, if Palmieri gets traded out, could be really good for him. Uh, And, you know, a player who has had some limited success might have some frustrated owners who might not be, you know, paying enough attention to the way this turnaround is happening, might not be looking at those underlying shots numbers. Maybe your last chance to sort of pry him away. Uh, one other thing on Coleman, if your league counts shorthanded points, uh, he's been a pretty solid producer in that regard for a couple seasons now. So that can be a useful spot to dig up some extra points each week. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I mentioned my Dauber piece. I looked into his uh, shorthanded production. He has the most shorthanded shots in the league over the past three years and he's also leading the league or he's tied for the lead in shorthanded points he may be second on that i'd have to check but um yeah blake coleman is there's something sustainable about his shorthanded success even though he probably won't score you know he's got three shorthanded goals in the last like 15 games that won't continue to that extent but over 40 games i think he is good for two more shorthanded points so yeah blake coleman somebody who you may be able to actually slot in for uh, a shorthanded point or two here rest of the season yeah someone i'm interested in asking megan hall about uh, at the conclusion of the season if you don't know she does a lot of work with uh shorthanded situations and how teams have been changing their shorthanded approach with more skilled players and faster players uh playing on the penalty kill so that's when i've got earmarked for an off-season conversation if i can manage it let's uh jump into our fourth question here Question number four, is the Rasmus Dahlin breakout finally coming in the season's second half? To preface this question, I I think I want to start with the fact that Rasmus the Younger over in Buffalo is already on pace for a 56-point season, which would be a 12-point improvement over last year's 44 and a full 82. So depending on your definition of a breakout for sophomore defensemen, he may already be on his way scoring-wise. 
With the underlying numbers, there are some mixed indicators. The most glaring of these numbers isn't even really an underlying number. It's a pretty upfront number. But Darlene is averaging more than two fewer minutes per game in the 1920 season compared to his debut campaign. And he's really been hard to predict in this regard. Over the last 10 games, he's had three that are at 15, 10, or less, including a 13-minute and 17-second game. Um, But he's also got two games over 24 minutes in that same span. Uh, He's still logging monster power play minutes, so at least that time is predictable. But it really seems like quite the swing back and forth for Darlene in terms of his ice time, which is less than ideal, I would imagine. A more positive indicator is that Darlene has nearly doubled his primary assist per 60 rate, both at even strength and on the power play. So his point totals aren't being goosed by picking up a bunch of garbage assists. Uh, His on-ice shooting percentage numbers are a little higher than last year, but that could be a result of this improved passing that's leading to his better primary assist rate. So I'm not super worried about that as an area for regression either. If he can start to capture a greater share of that available ice time, he could certainly ride those additional minutes to greater heights with these improved assist per 60 rates. Uh, It's worth noting, too, that the Sabres have been without two of their best finishers for weeks as Jeff Skinner and Victor Olofsson have been on the shelf. Uh, While Skinner hasn't been as good as last year, in part due to losing some of his deployment to Vic the Stick, uh, losing both of those guys has drastically reduced Buffalo's scoring depth. So I think Dalian may be able to see some bonus points uh, when his forward core is a little more healthy as well. You know, the conclusion here is a little murky. None of Darlene's numbers seem outrageous, and it seems like he'd certainly be on pace for 60-plus if he could regain even a minute of that time that he's lost and have a healthy forward core. So I think if he does get those, even with just a slight uptick in ice time, I think we could see Darlene pace for 65 points for the rest of the season and end up with right around 60 points for the year. That's not bad for a second-year guy, especially when you consider that Eric Carlson paced for 49 points in his sophomore season. It's definitely not bad. I do think, though, that your main point about his power or his time on ice is really what's prohibiting him from being, you know, when we were talking about this, when I'm thinking of a breakout for Darlene, I think expectations were or hopes were that this year he may be able to join that 60 plus point club for defensemen. And unfortunately, we are not seeing that so far this year. And I I do think that, you know, more often than not, he's getting the short end of the stick as far as time on ice. I think that's going to keep him from pacing for 60 plus moving forward until we see that huge uptick the positive the upshot as you said though is he is playing a ton of power play minutes and you see him hitting 100 percent of their power play time on ice even when they're playing like two minutes or more on the power play so he's getting ovechkin-esque power play deployment and that is definitely a positive sign i do like Dalene, but i'm not sure that this is the year for him So that being the case, uh, I don't think I can emphasize enough the value that you might be able to get over the summer if he has kind of another sort of good but not outstanding season. If you have some owners who are maybe feeling impatient and you have something that they are after, this is probably your last chance to get your hands on Darlene before he becomes a for sure keeper uh, moving forward. I think that's good advice. Yeah, this offseason I would be targeting Darlene and keepers. Now that you say it, I think I'm going to have to do it. I hope none of my league mates are listening. No, I'm kidding. I do hope they listen. Obviously. (laughs) I mean, yeah. Link them in the group chat, Lewis. 
This is the uh, this is the struggle that Brian and Elon frequently discusses. On the one hand, of course, we want to have as many listeners as we want, and you know, patrons who sign up, uh, you know, they want to have plenty of patrons. But there's also sort of the 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 advantage of listening to the show when your league mates don't, so that when you make an offer that they talked about on the show, they don't go, "Hey, you just got that good advice from you know so and so." Right. The night before Short Shift started, I had never uttered the words keeping Carlson out loud in real life. And then the moment we started the show, I became a walking billboard. So, you know, you got to sell out once you have the opportunity. That's my opinion. It's good advice. (laughs) Uh, Our last question, and I think this is one that has been discussed ad nauseum this year. We're talking about the San Jose Sharks. And my the question that stands out to me, can anyone from this team get it together and fix their disappointing start. I mean, other than Evander Kane, somebody who has some really wonky numbers in the shooting percentage department, blowing the lights out on the power play and can't buy a goal at even strength, none of these guys seem to really be doing what we had hoped for them uh, preseason. So the player that I, I've kind of earmarked here, I, his numbers aren't unsustainably low or anything, but I, I just have this hunch that Tomash Hurdle is going to have a huge end of the season. Uh, a big part of it, of course, is that Logan Couture injury. Since that injury, he's been playing over 20 minutes fairly regularly. In theory, you don't have any competition to worry about, right? He's playing like three or four minutes per game more than Joe Thornton, who's been playing the part of the second-line center recently. And he's also, in theory, the easy power play one centerman. So on the top unit right now, they're rolling out Hurdle, Kane, LeBanc, and Thornton. And I think that's a really solid top unit. Obviously, it's been Eric Carlson since Burns went down with an injury. I'm pretty good projecting Tomas Hurdle to be the guy to step forward if anyone can do it in San Jose right now. I, I like him to play at about a 70-point pace rest of the season. He's, he's pacing for 61 right now. I think he can make that jump up. Yeah, I'm a pretty disappointed Timo Meyer owner because I hope that maybe he would start to grab some of those minutes, but it certainly seems like Hurdle is the one who has emerged with the best opportunity for improvement. I decided to take a look at a couple sharks who everyone had lots of high hopes for, but uh, obviously have not been able to show their true potential, or maybe it's possible that their true potential is starting to fade a little bit. So uh, looking along the blue line, I wanted to see who between Burns and Carlson is most likely to be able to bounce back in the second half of the season. You know, obviously we've seen both of these guys regress as they've gotten older and are adjusting to the reality of sharing the ice with another high-scoring defenseman. Looking at the two of them, I think Carlson seems most likely to improve in the second half. I'm not saying he is a sure shot to improve, but he certainly seems like the better opportunity. Um, Part of the reason is Burns' numbers, so I'll start with Burns here. He has a Taylor Hall-esque 92% power play IPP uh, and is shooting around 10% on the power play, uh, which is quite a bit above his average uh, for his career. Despite those numbers, Burns still has just 11 power play points on the year. So it's not so much that Burns is, you know, unsustainably great on the power play as maybe it is that the power play has just not been what it has been in previous years. And I think we've seen a lot more shuffling than we have in the past. Um, His numbers are much more reasonable at even strength. But like Carlson, Burns is on pace to miss last year's shots marked by a significant margin. 
As a result, his limited even strength and power play goal totals are both above his individual expected goal numbers, so he's actually scoring a little better than the numbers think he should be. Uh, So if anything, he seems like a guy who might be more likely to regress in the second half. Carlson's IPP is more in line with expectations, and he's slightly below his expected goal numbers on the power play and at even strength. His even strength shooting percentage is the second worst of his career, outpaced only by his putrid pathetic sub 1% even strength shooting percentage from the 18-19 season. Uh, So while he may see that number improve, he's still going to struggle to rack up goals because his shot rate has fallen so far, even further than Burns. In just four more games last year than he's played so far in 1920, Carlson has 51 fewer shots. So unless he's going to put up 13 a night for the next four games, he's not going to reach that number. Uh, So while I think Carlson is more likely to improve on his current pace, he and Burns both seem likely to fall significantly short of their ADP, uh, perhaps by several rounds, unfortunately. Yeah, I think it's been pretty clear for a while now that both of these guys are not going to return the ADP that you probably invested in them. And uh, it's a bummer. These were two guys who I've been looking at as the top of the top in fantasy defensemen for a long time. I'm disappointed to see where it's gone this year. Hopefully, we'll get the bounce back in 2020-21. So that was going to be my next question. How interested are you in potentially going out and grabbing one of these guys for a discount in the offseason in a keeper league? I bet you could get them for cheaper than Darlene, that's for sure. It, it really would depend on the price. I don't know that I'd be rushing out to do it, though. I mean, with Carlson, the concern is that that shot rate falling so deeply. We talked about that in one of our very first short shifts, I believe. We were looking at, at shot rate over year over year, and he had the lowest delta shot rate from last year to this year. So definitely some concern about him. Uh, and then when you factor in the injury history, that's more than mildly concerning. Someone like Burns, though, who we've learned recently is struggling with a shoulder injury, maybe that accounts for quite a bit of his fall off. I actually disagree. I think that Burns, you you mentioned that you could see him uh, continue low in the second half. I think that we could see an uptick from Burns in the second half. I just don't think it's going to be anywhere close to the the point per game guy that we we've been accustomed to the last few years. So yeah, I'm uh, I, I'm more interested in Burns, but I don't think that I'm going to be buying a thirty. 30- five-year-old banger defenseman in the offseason. All right. Well, I'm glad we could find something to, to have a significant disagreement on before the end of the show. You know, I've been a Carlson keeper for as long as I've been listening to and now participating in keeping Carlson, uh, but this may be the last season for me as I have uh, some key choices to make on defense. I have uh, Yossi, Hughes, Makar, and D'Angelo who are all kind of ascendant uh, compared to where Carlson's at. So this may be the last time I get to have that feather in my cap. So, I mean, I'm definitely keeping him over Tony D'Angelo, but yeah, I think that Makar and Yossi are clearly above Carlson at this point, right? I I agree with you, and I think TDA is going to be somebody that I'm going to try and flip for uh, picks or maybe for, uh, you know, have as a throw-in to try and get a player improvement over the offseason. I think it is kind of interesting to talk about like timing with a trade like Tony D'Angelo too, because you know he's overperforming right now, but it's kind of hard to trade a player like that in the in 
in a league where people maybe aren't paying really close attention because I think that a lot of people probably miss the fact that he has been performing as well as he has been this year. So I, I think it makes sense to wait until the offseason in a keeper league if you're going to unload D'Angelo. Let someone see those full season numbers and then buy at that point. Yeah, I like that idea. Uh, you know, always those keeper trades are really interesting. It depends so much on who's in your league and what your settings are and all that kind of thing. The It's so personal that I think it can sometimes be really hard to predict. So always interesting to, to have some strategy advice there. All right, well, Lewis, let's get out of here for another week. My name is Ben Burnett. As I mentioned, we will not be streaming on the Keeping Carlson patron group this weekend, but I do hope you join us. Come hang out with us, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Thank you so much. Lewis, take us out of here. All right. Please feel free to hop online and give us a follow at AVG Time on Ice. You can follow Brian and Elon at Keeping Carlson and at Game Day Lines. Want to thank Dauber Hockey, Frozen Tools, Natural Stat Trick, Yahoo, Fan Tracks, and All About the Jersey for help researching this episode. Most importantly, getting a great nickname for our Dynamic Devils duo. Until next week, play smart and keep your shifts short.